we're really good at our games. They're good leaders. They're good at communicating and bringing together communities across remotely and all sorts of other skills that are really, I think, transferable to the business world in a way. I think the gamers shall inherit the earth potentially <laughs> during a global <laughs> pandemic because they've been collaborating. They've been strategizing to figure out ways to win. Uh, it's not like video games are getting you know less advanced, right? They're getting more realistic a lot of times in terms of how you have to interact to, to, to tackle a, ch a new challenge. I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, there's anybody that is needs that can sit down and focus looking at their screen all day. Yeah, <laughs> someone who's like been doing these gaming systems. So That's I'm right. like, for you know, for the listeners, this could be a job interview qualification for you, right? Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I've got Stu Chisholm here, who's the CEO of Hi-Res Studios, a video game developer and publisher based near Atlanta, Georgia. He leads the teams that initially created the hit games, Tribes Ascend and Smite, and Hi-Res has 450 employees plus across the globe, and more than 125 million have played Hi-Res games on PCs, con uh, consoles, and mobile phones. It's now one of the largest video game studios in the Southeast of the United States. Prior to joining Hi-Res, he served in senior leadership positions at Blue Cube Software, Red Prairie Corporation, and Radiant Systems. Stu holds a Bachelor of, of Arts and Economics from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and that makes him a Tar Hill. Welcome to the show, Stu. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm glad to be here, and I've followed your content for a long time and admired it. And, and go Heels, I guess, since we're talking all about right. Tar Heels. Sorry, all you Duke fans. Uh, we got a Tar Hill for you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for getting on here, y'all. This is our first inaugural CEO from the gaming industry, and y'all, if y'all aren't following this industry, you are missing out. It is booming. Uh, this is not Atari anymore, people. We have come a long way. So, Stu, glad to have you on here. Uh, first thing that jumps out at me, I mean, you've got, I mean, Red Prairie, right? But, different kind of technology company, well-known technology company. And now here you are leading the charge at a video game developer. How the heck did you get into this industry? Yeah. So, uh, you know, really my career unfolded in three kind of major phases. Uh, you know, I started in finance uh, in New York, uh, coming out of college with my bachelor of economics from UNC, spent some time in banking over to Viacom for a little bit, worked in there uh, for uh, Showtime Networks, the cable channel, oh, yeah. Yeah. some with wow. MTV and uh, Comedy Central, things like that. So I started there and my boss that I was working with at Viacom went to this little, and this was up in New York um, and uh, in Manhattan. And the uh, my boss that I was working with at Viacom uh, went to this little tiny startup down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, called uh, Radiant Systems. And so Radiant did really well. It um, uh, went public uh, sometime around uh, uh, you know, 2003 or so. Radiant had a very underperforming division making a new product uh, that was kind of an early, uh, early software as a service solution for okay. kind of Fortune 500 mm -hmm. retailers on the back end. So they did inventory mm -hmm. management, workforce management, things along those lines. And But it was underperforming at the time. But uh, Erez really believed in it. Uh, okay. And he went to the board and he said, let me buy it back from you. Take it private. Hmm. Uh, and 
spin off this new company called Blue Cube Software. So I went there as the CTO uh, and, um, and pretty quickly we turned that business around it. Um, uh, uh, we signed up some really big customers, most of the kind of big box retailers uh, in the country use the, uh, the workforce management scheduling solution for that. It was very popular among kind of the large convenience store chains and okay. restaurants as well. Mm-hmm. And so that company did well. It sold to Red Prairie, which is a supply chain yep. uh, company. And by that time, Eris had made a lot of money. You know, he had taken his first company public. Way to go, Eris. And yeah. he had uh, been very successful with the second company. And it reminded him of his true passion which was video games. So Erez and his brother, before they had started, hmm. uh, before they had started Radiant Systems, they, uh, in their dorm rooms, uh, they, uh, they had uh, coded games for the old Atari systems. So oh, wow. And, the, um, and uh, Erez mm-hmm. loved it. He loved making games. He was really into this game that was popular at the time called City of Heroes, which was an MMO type game. And he said, I want to do that. Uh, So he started Hi-Res Studios. uh, And this Hmm. is about 2005. Um, And uh, in 2008, they had made enough progress that they were really getting ready to start to kind of take their first game to market. And uh, I came over at that point in time to help. Uh, eras with this it was really gaming was pretty foreign to me you know I played games of course um, as a kid and and through other things uh, but it was a totally new industry for me uh, but uh, you know I what came over more for my technology and operations mm-hmm, expertise mm-hmm. there was a lot of carryover from running software as a service where you're constantly updating to running games as a service uh, uh-huh. Most okay. games now are are not just where you put them on a disc and and play it. Most games these days are uh, kind of continuously living products. Mm-hmm. So there were there was a lot of carryover on the technology side that made sense in terms of how to structure operations processes, uh, large scale backend servers that can handle large volumes. But it was a totally new, you know, wow. trying to learn this whole gamer universe was. Um, you know, something I had to take on and figure yeah, co- out. You know, Sue, a couple of things that come to me. Number one is from you starting from New York all the way to today, it sounds like you must have done a good job from some pretty high senior level people and they brought you along. Like if they, maybe they had, maybe they were really good in another part of the business and they were looking for a good finance ops guy and you did a good job. It's like, okay. Stu, Stu's executing. He can get it done. We'll bring him with us. Uh, and, and, and that skill set and doing a good job, it sounds like, getting the right visibility, you know, which is really key with the right leaders, sounds like it's opened up some big doors for you. It has, you know, and, and uh, you know, I also probably hitched my uh, wagon to the right cart, you know, or whatever the phrase is. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Erez has, has had a mm-hmm. track record of success and and yeah. uh, was able to, you know, uh, so that was very fortunate from my side to just kind of land inside of that ecosystem. Yeah, so what, so what, so like, what are your advice for, so do you have for someone who's listening here? Like, you know what, I want to hitch my wagon to, to the right mm-hmm person or the right company could be either uh what advice do you have for them if they're on the search i think you know some of it's got to come down to just uh, i think find something you're passionate about and find people you're passionate working with and uh, you know to me that still has the highest chance of success because if you're not really passionate about what you're working on and if you don't really like the people you're working with uh, you know, maybe, you know, uh, it's probably not going to work out very great anyways. Um, and I think the, uh, so to me, that's kind of the first thing mm-hmm. to work on. And then certain people are, you know, I think there's a certain personality type that is kind of the, the entrepreneurial archetype 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just people that are, are fearless and willing to, you know, double and triple down on an idea, even, you know, long past when other people would have uh, exited out, you know, mm-hmm. they said, Hey, this is too hard. I'm out. Uh, and if you can find those people, uh, you know, and that's not my natural personality. Um, but, uh, you know, I think those the kind of superpower that kind of yeah. serial entrepreneurs like Ares, uh have have that really sets them apart. You know, I love that you're bringing that perspective because it's not always about being Elon Musk. It's like there's a lot of Elon needs a good team to execute these visions and make things happen. Uh, and so finding people who have co- a complementary skill set sounds like it's critical. And I mean, it's, it's so funny because, you know, I told my 10 year old, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be interviewing a, you know, a gaming CEO today. And she's immediately thinking about the game. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you get it behind it, the fundamentals of business are probably the fundamentals of business. And you got you to have a handle on that or else everything else doesn't matter. Uh, what, so what's, what's your perspective sort of having like, and I don't, I don't want to say you have an old school mentality, but that kind of comes to mind because you're like an economics finance guy, but you've also got to have the creatives there, right? So how does that work out being the sort of business-minded person in, in, in a creative-driven industry like this? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the first thing I always tell people about economics, by the way, which is different than finance and I did spend a lot of time in finance but I think economics prepared me well for gaming in two ways Hmm. one economics is really it's fundamentally about how to deal with the fact that there are uh, finite resources you know Hmm. and Mm -hmm. and you know when you really talk about economics as a discipline it's really how do you manage finite resources and and what kind of systems in place can help you do that and there are always finite resources right that's kind of generally applicable to everything in life Mm -hmm. you never have enough time you never have enough people you never have enough areas like that and i think that's where uh and that's quadruply so in a creative world you know Mm. uh so i think that is a uh you know that part to me is where I try to add value is more just kind of trying to work with, uh, with the creative people and try to understand like, okay, look, here's our box. Hmm. Mm -hmm. When we kind of need to stay inside of this box, we can push the boundaries. We can, we can, you know, we can talk about whether we need to change the box a little, but at the end of the day, there's only so much time. There's only so much money. There's only so much uh, people. How can we create, you know, how can we help you be unleashed inside of that box is kind of where I see a lot of my role. I love that so much because using an economics term, constraints. And I think a lot of people think, well, if you put constraints around my artistic process, then I can't create. No, no. I'm a big believer, and I'd be curious about your your opinion. By adding constraints, it helps you become more free, right? Because you can it, it takes away the additional variables. You're like you're thinking too big and you ever get anything done. And by, but by, like you said, giving them the constraints, giving them the box that allows them to uh, perform at a higher level. I a hundred percent agree with that. And even most, you know, most of the experienced creative people that I talk with believe the same, you know, I mm-hmm. think sometimes maybe when you, uh, you know, it's, it's always a pain to have constraints and not be able to do everything as fully as, as you might imagine. So there's always that dream of, you know, what would I do with unlimited resources? But I think most creative people that I talk to really see the, um, see it similarly as well. Like, like having a starting point, a box to work within Mm -hmm. unleashes creativity as much as it constrains. What do you think business leaders and other industries would be surprised about most if they were to spend a day in the gaming business with you? Uh, Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, one, I don't think most people realize how big an industry gaming is. You know, uh, video mm-hmm. gaming 
is uh, is actually uh, not only larger than the entire music industry plus the entire film industry, it's considerably larger than the entire music industry plus the what? entire film industry. Uh, so I think it's like Wait, film plus music, film plus music is less than video games, uh, on global revenues. Uh, and it is a, uh, wow. by a grow and that's a, a gap that is growing, uh, annually, you know? Uh, so the, hmm. uh, so I, I think there's this, you know, I think still idea from those of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s, right, that it's still this kind of adjunct yeah. uh, thing, whereas I think in um, it, it's really um, a huge industry that that drives a, a lot of time. I, the other piece of what part of what drives that is it's an extremely global industry hmm. uh, and it's mm -hmm. one of the few entertainment um because languages uh, don't don't play out the same way right not the same way yeah, yeah. i mean i That'd think you know in a way that film and music qu can't quite you know music still is pretty widely you know music and film <laughs> are co of course global products but but gaming really brings together global communities in a way that is very unique because you're experiencing the game and that's if you're playing Smite or, you know, one of these other games, it's standard to be like, oh, I'm playing with a guy from Europe and a guy from Latin America and a guy from here. And we're all mm -hmm. talking together mm -hmm. on the, you know, we're all on voice comms talking to each other and wow. we're passionate about the game. And we go off to social media and we interact on social media together as a community. So it's it's an unusual medium because it brings together uh, uh, communities in a global way that very few other things uh, really can. Uh, and I think that's, that's not something, you know, a lot of folks who aren't gamers themselves uh, necessarily see. Yeah. I, I'm glad you're bringing that up because the word play is so key. And, you know, we lose our egos when we're playing, right? We're striving, we're working together and I'm not a gamer. I mean, I grew up on Nintendo and Atari, but I wouldn't call myself a gamer these days. Uh, but I'm interested in it because I'm seeing this phenomenon. Have, and it's one of the reasons I'm glad to have you on because I think business leaders are missing this. And I'm wondering if, you know, why aren't organizations getting their So like, 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 here's an example. I've had so many uh, leaders on who said, yeah, during the pandemic, uh, you know, we'd have our Zoom happy hours because we couldn't get together in person, you know, and we would talk and exchange ideas. And I think that can be good. But what if it could be taken to another level? Like, what if you could get your team from SAP all gaming together or something along, along those lines? You know, what would it, how does that translate into a more collaborative, effective team? on the work work, if you could engage in a game. I don't, what's your philosophy on that? And, and do you have any, any stories or any examples of that? Or that's yeah, I, come together? I think it's interesting. I, you know, I think it's one reason why surprisingly, you know, we were all in the office and had this mentality. Like I think most people everywhere in most industries had that we all had to be together. We had all had to do this in order to get work done, especially in a creative industry. Mm -hmm. where that spontaneous interaction is good. But I think the gaming industry adapted really well to work from home, partly because gamers are used to it. You know, gamers are, used, yeah. you know, like I can hey, it's, it's nothing, you know, when you play games are by and large a social experience. You know, you're you're playing with your friends, and, but you're doing it remotely with communications you're getting on. You're hopping on tools like Discord and all sorts of other things to kind of bring your bring groups together, talk, chat, and it's it's a very familiar. You know, I think think that transition is much easy. You know, I think if you're hiring for a uh, for a more traditional kind of corporate job, and you find out that uh, the person you're interviewing is a passionate gamer, that actually you know probably tells you that they are, you know, actually really good at some of these skills of, of coordinate, you know, especially depending on what type of game can matter. But, uh, 
you know, for our type of games, the people who are really good at our games, they're good leaders. They're good at communicating and bringing together communities across, uh, you know, remote, at, um, you know, remotely and all sorts of other skills that are really, I think, um, transferable to the business world in a way. I think most people have the stereotype of, I don't, you know, you know, the gamer is just the kid in their basement, uh, you know, playing 60 hours a week with no social skills and things like that. And uh, maybe at times there's enough truth to that to make it, you know, uh, seem right. But I don't think people realize <laughs> that the, I don't think people realize what that, you know, the skills that are getting pulled together by these gamers when they are, uh, you know, it may seem like they're just in their room, but they're really interacting in this whole global space with a global community and getting people to work together. And yeah. that are very interesting. I'm, I'm glad you said that that's never come up on the show and it makes so much sense. Like the, the gamers shall inherit the earth potentially <laughs> during a global <laughs> pandemic because they've been collaborating. They've been, strategizing to figure out ways to win. Uh, it's not like video games are getting, you know, less advanced, right? They're getting more realistic a lot of times Absolutely. in terms of how you have to interact to, to, to tackle a, ch a new challenge. Uh, and I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, there's anybody that is these, that can sit down and focus looking at their screen all day. Yes. <laughs> Someone who's like, been doing these gaming intensely. So That's I'm right. like, for you know, for the listeners, this could be a job interview qualification for you, right? Uh, or or it could be an interview question because if you go down that rabbit hole with someone, you might find a jewel that maybe someone's been passed over for a remote working role that could be a really good fit. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I mean it's it's I, I think when you and this is something uh, you know, I had to learn as I got more into gaming, but when you see the skills required to really, uh, you know, uh, especially multiplayer games uh, that are bringing in teams of people, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, the people that are really good at that uh, have some great skills. And a lot of the best hires we've made have been people that didn't necessarily have the you know, particular skills, you know, it's a very technical and artistic discipline to make video games, but we've had some great hires who didn't necessarily have the technical or artistic background that would have suggested that they could do this, but we knew from how they interacted in our gaming communities that they were leaders, that they could, they could, you know, rally people behind them, that they could do all sorts wow. of things. So, you know, that's a, uh, and sharp That's thinkers, cool. right? That could kind of think out of the box. So I, I think it's a, it's a non-traditional, but you know, definitely a potential way to find employees. I think you're challenging some assumptions right now uh, from myself and a lot of other leaders out there. So this is a good thing to open up with. Now, let's dive a little bit into your some of your leadership philosophy because it's been shaped by you know different industries. And I'm really curious, what, what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why? That's a good, you know, I, we have um, six or seven values we kind of tout inside our company. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, it's uh, humble, relentless, scientific, pragmatic, entrepreneurial, and fearless, right? So those are kind of the like wow. six six traits we say like here's what we want from mm -hmm. an employee at high res uh if you had to pick one of those you know i think it's gonna be like, tough for you <laughs> it's tough you know it's somewhat situational right i think mm -hmm. depending on what the team needs but uh i think entrepreneurial covers mm -hmm. a lot of those you know i think there's um you know kind of uh uh acting like an owner feeling like, uh, you know, uh, taking uh, accountability for what you, what you're working on, uh, is a little bit of fearlessness that's implied in being an entrepreneur, because um, mm -hmm. you have to be, uh, willing to fail in order to succeed. And, um, yes. you know, I think there's a lot in that trait that I find really interesting. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. 
Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. And so how did you pick that up along the way yourself? Because you're, you're like me, you came from a sort of bigger organizations and getting into this entrepreneurial mindset for me, it was like pulling teeth. I'm like, wait, I failed before it would get me fired or at least humiliated. Mm-hmm. Now, like I have to iterate, which is like mini failure uh, as much as possible. How have you personally handled that, that transition? Mindset wise, you know, I think I was lucky because you know, even when I was working in bank, you know, I worked right. My first kind of job out of college was with a uh, you know a British bank on Wall hmm. Street. You know, about as as look uh, tight <laughs> suck up that you can do. I had like I remember one day they had had like casual Fridays for a little bit and I guess summer ended and I didn't know when summer ended and thus casual Fridays ended. And I didn't come in looking just the right way of buttoned Uh up. And I remember this guy about five levels above me walks up to me and says, Stu, I didn't know you had quit. You know, (laughs) I wasn't dressed. I wasn't dressed you know, quite to the way. So it was a very state organization, but I had inside of that kind of very staid, uh, uh, old early nineties, British banking environment. I had bosses that didn't think that way, you know, mm. and I think they mm-hmm. taught me, uh, and I was fortunate enough to work on some projects very early, even there that kind of, um, help teach me, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, some of these traits, even though I was in that environment. So, uh, you know, so I think that what a was, gift. uh, a gift. Yeah. Very lucky to have, uh, you know, just the right mentors very early. What's, what's a lesson or, or an idea that you give somebody when you're trying to help them become more entrepreneurial? Yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a good question. You know, actually I'll, you know, I'll go back and, you know, one of, in order to just carry the thread through where I said Mm -hmm. I was lucky to have some good mentors very early, you know, one of my first bosses uh, at NatWest Bank, uh, the the British bank I worked for uh, in New York was a woman named uh, Joanne Riley. She probably doesn't even remember me or know who I was because I didn't work for her that long. And this was 30 years ago. And, I was really low on the totem pole, but she taught me three things very early that I think are uh, really important to uh, uh, that do apply to this entrepreneurial side. You know, uh, one was to fight through bottlenecks versus using a bottleneck as an excuse. And I learned that lesson one day when I, you know, didn't have a project done at the end of the day. And she asked why. And I said, well, I sent you this email and I was waiting for you to reply back to tell me something, you know? And she said, that's not an excuse. If I'm not available to answer your question, it's your job to find someone who can, you know, and uh, that's very valuable, you know, or to just figure it out yourself and come up with an answer yeah. and go. That's with, a great you know? life, life skill. Because yeah. the boulders don't move themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was very like, you know, like, no, that's you. Even though it was like, hey, I'm waiting on you. You know, I'm not even waiting on someone else. I'm waiting on you. And she's like, that's not good enough. That's, you know, you're accountable for getting yeah. this done. You like got to figure it out. And mm-hmm. the second thing she taught me was, you know, don't be afraid to take charge. You know, one of the first products I worked with her on was we were, uh, the company was going through, I was on this kind of internal consulting group, low, very low, the copy guy, you know, make copies uh, on the, uh, on this group. And, uh, but we were going through a merger and acquisition process. And, you know, she got me basically running these meetings where there were all these people that were many levels above me. And, 
but it's kind of my job to like keep them on track and assign them tasks and mm-hmm. whatever. And she says, she says, you know, no, just, just look, if you know what you're doing, if, if like you have a plan and you take charge, they're not going to care that your four rings down. They're going to be glad someone has a plan and took charge. And the, uh, yeah. and hmm. so I think that's a lesson I learned very early to, to, you know, you can go too far that way. You can kind of, you know, uh, you have to obviously be very attuned to the cultural norms of your company and things along those lines. But I think it's, but I've seen that even now today among my employees, right. I'm most thrilled when someone's like, here's the plan. We're doing this, you know, unless you tell me not, unless you tell me we're doing it another way, we're doing it this way. I mean, I'm like, thank God, you know, this is yeah, to your point earlier about framework, right. And adding constraints in a box, a plan kind of does that, right. It, it yeah. kind of gives the, gives some structure. And just someone willing to kind of say like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I can take charge of this situation. We'll make it happen uh, is really valuable. And then the third thing she taught me was, you know, don't let failure to execute on the last 1% kind of ruin your hard work on the other 99%. Right. Hmm. And I remember like this, I remember we were putting together this presentation for all the biggity bigs uh, at the bank at that time. And it was a pretty good analysis, pretty good presentation. We had, you know, it was a team effort, lots of hard work had gone into it, but something was misspelled. And this is back when it wasn't just changing PowerPoint. You know, you actually had the slides that you had to put on the little projector or whatever. And the uh, and she's like, you know, there's all this great work has done. And that's going to be, a, you know, that's going to distract from it. That's going to, you know, people are going to catch that and they're going to wonder what else you missed or, you know, things along those lines. And it was just a really kind of hard lesson around you can do really great work, but if you don't, you know, fully follow through, uh, all of that can get lost for what are amounts to stupid reasons that shouldn't matter, but they do. I, I feel that you're pain and I work like hell not to do that, but sometimes, uh, this spelling oh, comes out. I'm like, I'm like, I'm man, at it. but you're right. It does detract. So go on the extra mile. Getting the extra person to proofread it usually can help. <laughs> Nowadays, we at least have software for it. So it's yeah. a lot easier. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. So my my company, you know, we do a lot of coaching and training, and we're, we're all working in the vein of trying to increase employee leadership and engagement and reduce employee turnover. And our research shows that employee turnover can cost as much as $235,000 per employee per year. So it's a pretty big number. Do you believe that that cost, so not as much the percentage, yes, the percentage of turnover is important, but the cost of turnover is something that organizations should be tracking? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, and I think that it's, it's really interesting. I think the scale of that cost, mm-hmm. I think the more creative an industry you are, I would argue the more crazy the scale of that cost can be, you know, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, creative industries are, are different from a lot of industries because they, the very best person at a discipline can be so much better than the average person. Right. And that's not true about a lot of disciplines, Mm. you know, like, like, you know, if, if you're an accountant and you get the numbers, right, you know, you can be the best accountant in the world versus the average accountant. And that probably does make a difference because you might come up with creative solutions and save a lot of money, but there's a narrower gap there. Right. Whereas in creative industries, it's, it's more akin to sports, you know, like, look, LeBron James is astronomically better than whoever his backup is, you know, uh, on the Lakers. Yeah. Right. It makes sense. Yes. And whoever his backup is on the Lakers 
is a one in a million player, right? Made the NBA. And that guy is astronomically better than the average starting, you know, power forward on an NCAA division one team. And that person is astronomically better than the average starting power forward on a high school team. So that is, that's kind of true in creative industries as well, where there's such a non-linear scale difference between what the, the best person can contribute and what even an average person can contribute. And so I think, you know, uh, so the cost of turnover can be really high, right? If you're, if you wind up replacing one of these 10 X employees with a one X employee, uh, then yes. which is hard to know when you hire, right. Um, that is, uh, a tremendous cost. So it's not just the cost of turnover, but it's the wrong turnover has a, particularly not man. Oh man. I love how you explain that. And yes, you did explain it like a good economist sliding scales, (laughs) (laughs) but it, but you explained it really, really well. And uh, yeah. And the supply of that kind of talent is not abundant. Uh, And so, yeah, especially even more niche when they have specialized knowledge for your organization and, and things like that. So Man, that's probably an interesting conversation with your HR team in terms of <laughs> how we're calculating this. Yeah. Wow. Holy smokes. All right. Great, great response there. So let's let's transition into when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your growth or success on down the road? That's a good question. Uh, but, you know, it's hard – it's hard to be in a creative industry and or any industry probably not just have enormous number of failures you could draw upon. So I could probably talk about the failures all day, uh, but I'll talk about the interesting twists instead of the failure okay. for right now, which is, you know, when I, so I talked about this history of, of having started with Ares' company at Radiant Systems and then gone to Blue Cube uh, as the CTO and then into mm-hmm. high-res transitioning to gaming right kind of not right before I kind of transitioned over onto the blue cube side, I quit, Uh, you know, I, so I had at the time I was working on a, um, I I was very internal IT focused. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a, it was a growing company that had, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, sales, manufacturing, very complex operations. And so I was focused on kind of the ERP type system implementations for the company. And the, uh, but I really, this was like around, this was right in the dot-com boom kind of days, you know, the Mm -hmm. internet was really breaking. And so I said, um, so I, had this idea. I wanted to pursue it. I found a guy. We were going to create a company together, work on this idea. And um, Erez really set me down. He said, look, we can give you that here, Hmm. you know, and uh, we, and, you know, worked with them to instead transition from more of this internal IT focused area into new product development, much more kind of, you know, outward facing product development, uh, a type efforts that much more scratch that itch to try to, uh, you know, both uh, be more on, you know, have customers, right? You know, be on the more kind of Mm -hmm. revenue generating side of the business, as well as to, really get deep on, you know, leading edge technologies at the time. So, you know, I think that was kind of like a big twist for me, right? Because if I had gone the other way, maybe, maybe we would have created a really successful company, who knows, There's, but at the same time, I would have missed out on all these other opportunities yeah. that, that kind of led up to today. Wow. So hmm. your mentor, um, I don't know, you didn't use that word for him uh, or sponsor, he, he worked to retain you. 
I mean, it sounded yeah. like you had already, you had a vision for what you were going to go do. It wasn't like you were just frustrated and I'm leaving. You're like, I have something I'm excited about. So that makes it double hard. Yeah. Change somebody in that, in that moment. Do you remember what he said to you that made you stay ultimately? Was there one thing or just the vision he had for you in the, in your new role there? Or uh, yeah. I mean, I think one, right. Is, is, I had a very particular itch I wanted to scratch, right? I wanted to go from internal IT mm -hmm. focus to being on the front lines with the product uh, and uh, working more on that side. So one brought a solution to that. Two, I wanted experience with more of an, a startup type of experience. And mm -hmm. the opportunity he was able, you know, that was the timing was fortunate, but there was an opportunity at that time to basically go into this effectively startup group that was working on a brand new product. They were part of this bigger company, but they were like a startup uh, that ultimately became actually what, you know, did ultimately spin off into Blue Cube. And oh. the, um, and uh, so there was, and then, you know, I think uh, you talk about kind of that entrepreneurial gene or, you know, what makes people do that. You know, there's a little, you know, in the Steve Jobs biography, they talk about the reality distortion zone, you know, <laughs> that Steve Jobs would have. Oh, yes. Where, yes. where like the, the just like his passion and ability to communicate around whatever he was mm -hmm. doing was so high that you just kind of went into this, you know. Uh, you forgot about all the problems and it would distort reality. Yeah. There's a little bit of that in eras as well, you know, where when he's super um, uh, passionate about something uh, that shines through so much, you know, that it gets you excited about it as well. Yeah. A couple of things in there that really jump out at me. Uh, number one, you knew what you wanted. And I think that so many employees, they get frustrated in their job. They're just like, Oh my God, I'm just so frustrated. I'm going to quit. Versus you had thought through this, you knew exactly, like, as you said, the itch that you were trying to scratch here, proverbially, for proverbially, whatever, I'm having a hard time, it's not coming out right. But you knew what that was. And so when you sat down with your boss, you could articulate that. So that was the first thing. I think a lot of people missed that. The second thing was that your boss listened to you. He didn't say, well, Stooge is here because he wants more money. Am I going to give it here? Let me give it to you. You want some more money? The, you, you know, without retaining, and that wasn't what you were saying, right? You were saying, hey, I've got this vision for my career that I'm looking for. And he said, well, hey, maybe that fits well with where we're heading as a company and we can create that space for you here. So it just seems like a lot of things went right in that moment. Yeah. Where a lot of times during the great resignation, that conversation's fallen, fallen apart for a lot of people because someone doesn't know what they want. Someone's just defaulting the money and they're just like ships in the night passing each other. Yeah. Like I say, it's, uh, you know, very fortunate, you know, to, mm -hmm. to have uh, uh, a, a bunch of stars had to align, you know, uh, always has to, you know, I think to get anywhere interesting, you know, different stars have to align. And that was definitely one of those cases and a big, you know, one of those big kind of, four points in life where it could have yeah. gone a very different way. What are three success strategies that every employee needs to be keeping in mind right now? Uh, you know, that's a great question. You know, I think, um, well, I, you know, I talked earlier about the three strategies of fight through bottlenecks. Yep. Those uh, are great. You know, you know, this could qualify those, as your three, if you want, they to. could qualify in a way as my three, you know, yes. I, I think, you know, when you qualify it with like right now, you know, like in the moment, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think there's a lot of, anytime there's big changes in, in society or technology, I think it's like, look, I think everyone should be looking for opportunity. You know, I think the, excellent the, pandemic and everything that kind of spawned from that was such a, uh, you know, just 
such an event that tossed away all of these old long held mm-hmm. assumptions and all sorts of other things that I, I think, you know, uh, you know, look for opportunity. I, I think it's, it's out there for, for everyone. Um, you do have to be, uh, uh, and I get caught, you know, I, I think all of us get caught sometimes afraid of failure, but, but uh, now's the best time as you're a worker, right? Different as if you're a company, but if you're a worker, there's no better time to take a risk and fail than now because hmm. you're in so much demand anyways. You know what I mean? It's like, this isn't like 15% unemployment. And if you fail, you don't know uh, if you'll you, get a, you know, you can get another opportunity or, yeah, or get like, another at bat to stick with sort of sports analogies in general. Yeah. Like you're, you strike out, you it's not like you're going to be waiting for another year to get another at bat. You, you can get another at bat. Yeah. So, and I think that's, you know, uh, hmm. th- that's an unusual opportunity, right? Yeah. Like it's a good time to, uh, you know, where maybe the, the cost of taking a, a risk isn't as high as, as it might've been mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at another time. So, um, I guess that's only a couple. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I like that. And that's an important one because looking for the opportunity too in a time of this transition for companies and for employees, it seems like when things change a whole lot, a lot of people sort of retreat, right? You want to wait till the dust settles. But as one of the big values of your company, being, you know, having that entrepreneur mindset, I mean, if an entrepreneur moves into that challenge, they move into that curve of change. Versus ducking. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think that's right. That's hard for all. That's hard for all of us, you know. And I'm a real yeah. operations guy, you know, fundamentally, and that's probably mm-hmm. hardest for us operations guys because we just want the the ship to to yes. you know, yes. run sail smoothly. But the uh, but I think that's just something to uh, keep in mind of when you're in a time of great change. Hope you know. Usually that. It creates a lot of opportunity. So it's kind of be on the lookout for that. Right. Two more quick questions. Number one, there, there are leaders listening right now that are not gaming. You could recommend one of your own games. Okay. But if they are not into gaming right now, but they're like, you know what? I need to give this other shot because I'm going to listen to Stu. What is the, what are, what is, what is a starter game? Or a couple that you'd say, hey, you know, if you're just getting want to really explore this world and give it a shot with with your kids by yourself with friends, where should they start? Uh, great question. I, I'll actually answer with the most mass market thing I possibly could, you know, versus <laughs> trying to show that I'm smart and come up with a real niche game or whatever. But if you had no exposure to gaming whatsoever, I would say play Fortnite because Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, this is the kind of um, one of the, you know, uh, for a long time, it's been the largest game in the world. It may be second place now, but it's one Mm -hmm. of the largest games in the world. But the reason why I would recommend starting that if you're new is, um, it one it's it's fairly you know it's fairly easy to get into Mm -hmm. two it's mass market it's kind of like you know in literature you have to read the canon right like you know (laughs) in order to have like in order to have like cultural context uh you need to have read certain books right even if they even if you don't think they were a good book you need to have read the book so Mm -hmm. you have the context of that and can talk to others about it. All right. Fortnite is so big that you really have to, uh, uh, you know, if you don't have the context of what that is, what that game is, it's hard to work in. And then three, that game is really on the leading edge of, of uh, you know, the big and bet, you know, if you just want to like go get money from a, 
from a you know venture capital guy without having an idea right now you just say metaverse three times mm-hmm. and then nft the fourth you know and you're like oh great here's money i'll i'll yes. give this to you uh, hmm. fortnite is really on um uh is is as far along as anyone on kind of exploring this metaverse idea and that's okay. kind of like like inside of a 3d gaming universe being able to have all sorts of crazy interactions you know where you can watch you can go to museums inside of the game you can you mm -hmm. can watch concerts inside of the game they'll have movie nights where you sit down and you watch movies that your avatars you know so there's this idea that's kind of broader than just gaming that's starting to emerge inside of uh inside of that that is i think um if if you even just want to be kind of informed as an investor or someone just trying to understand where large scale technology trends are going, uh, gives you a little bit ex- of exposure to those ideas. There's your starter, listeners. Fortnite. It's not just for your kids. <laughs> or it's not. It's not just you're trying to keep your kids off of all the time. Let's <laughs> try. Everybody exactly. should be a family of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so last one is. What's your parting thought for the listeners or Stu? Uh, right. You know, one, just thank you. You know, I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed having a conversation. I think it's, uh, I've, uh, like I say, I, uh, in, enjoy, uh, reading the content that you put out and, and listening to your podcast. So, uh, thank you for that. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know that i like uh, any sort of oracle on top of the mountain with great wisdom. So I'd hate to, <laughs> you know, hate to uh, pretend that I am and uh, say with some great, great, uh, super wise saying, but, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, this is a really interesting time for everyone, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and for yeah. leaders in particular, uh, the, uh, so much has gotten scrambled. The uh, employment environment's very different uh, than it's, it has been through at least most of my career in terms of what it takes to attract and keep talent. Um, all of those uh, sort of things are really interesting. So I'm uh, just curious to see how other people are handling that as well. All right. Well, we'll probably be getting some, some feedback and comments, very positive ones, of course. Uh, on your interview. I think a lot of great nuggets in here and looking forward to get it out there. Thanks, Stu. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.